This morning for these weeks in July, all three of the weeks left, we are going to uh, enter into a series uh, in Proverbs. We're going to look at a few, I think, powerful passages from this great wisdom book, and we're calling this series Word to the Wise. It's really important in understanding Proverbs that we uh, know how to use the book. I believe that we got to be careful with some of the Proverbs because they are general truths, okay? Now, I believe everything in the Bible, if I've made some of you nervous, I believe everything in the Bible is true as it's intended to be true. But these, these general principles, I think, we have to lean in to be able to understand them. We've got to be careful how we use them. True story, if, if anybody doubts me, if you think this is a, a hermeneutical a hyperbole, a, you know, a preacher exaggerating, I'll be willing to substantiate this story with the actual name, town, church, and person. But out in Oregon, uh, Laura has a sister that lives out in Oregon, not far from where your sister lives. Uh, I know of a church and I know of a family who lost a really good man, of grandfather, a father. Uh, they really loved this man. He lived well and had a bunch of kids and a bunch of grandkids. And they wanted to pay tribute to him, of course. And so they had a memorial. They had a monument. They had this thing set up, this marker that was made of marble with a carefully chosen biblical inscription on it and they wanted it to read Proverbs 17 6 uh, grandchildren are the crown of the aged and the glory of children is their fathers now not the verse was on there just the inscription of the reference but instead of Proverbs 17 6 my friend a guy named Neil Miniman noticed that they put Proverbs 6 17 which says haughty eyes a lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood We need to be wise in how we use the Proverbs. But let me ask you, what is a proverb? Before we do these three weeks and this morning in particular, because you're here, what is a proverb? A proverb, um, it can be described as, as a crisp nugget of wisdom or a condensed expression of truth. I want you to know that. In other words, it, it, it's taken some things that have a lot of uh, tributaries to the river, but it kind of packages it in a, in a way that, that we can remember that makes a, a, a bomb go off, a thought bomb, if you will. Let me give you, I, th I thought about it this week, let me give you some modern day examples that you may be familiar with. Here's the first one. No, go to the, yeah. You messed me up. <laughs> the law demands that you use your automobile's restraining device while driving. You could be pulled over and issued a fine for not wearing this government-mandated belt for citizen safety. What's the proverb? You just saw it. Click it or ticket. Okay, next. Fruits and vegetables form an integral part of a healthy, well-balanced diet for overall health that can improve the immune system. Think about it. You got it? Right here, the proverb. An apple a day keeps the doctor away. You get that, right? It's not just about an apple. An apple's a part of it, but it's about all fruit and all vegetables that God gave us, that God, children, intends us to eat. Okay, next one. As a concern, you're already thinking, aren't you? As a concerned citizen, do your part in raising public awareness and be on the lookout for any and all indicators of potential harmful situations that could lead to violent crime. Report any suspicious activity to a local law enforcement agency. You know it? If you see something, say something. And this one is new. There's a billboard on uh, I-55. Know the, this isn't on the billboard. Know the dangers. <laughs> 
We'd all wreck if we read that billboard. Know the dangers of smoking. Uh, I've seen some of you drive and text. You might as well read this on a billboard. Knowing the dangers of smoking synthetic marijuana as it can be toxic to the point of death, it is neither natural nor safe. There are no regulations on the type of chemicals sprayed on these herbs. And as we're telling our young people around the Jackson Metro area, the proverb is, think twice before spice. And I think I have a couple of my kids in the sanctuary right now. Let me just say, don't think twice before spice. I'm just gonna say, don't do spice, okay? <laughs> what is a proverb? What do we say? It's, it's a, just a, it's condensed. It's in the con- condensed expression of truth, a crisp nugget of wisdom. And all throughout the Proverbs, I think you know this, it's the, the section of the Bible, sort of in the middle where it's called wisdom literature. And it's a father talking to a son and tell him, here's the things that I want you to know. And he uses expressions throughout this book, things like incline your heart to understanding, make your ear attentive to wisdom, cry out for discernment, seek it as silver, search for it as hidden treasure, wear it as a wreath around your head, an ornament around your neck. Billy Graham, long ago, I took this to heart when I read it, when I heard him say it, probably 25 years ago, he said every morning, I read five Psalms and a proverb and Psalm teaches me how to get along with God and Psalm teaches me how to get along with my fellow humans. In many, many, many months of my life, from teenage years through college and adulthood, I have taken that to heart. In addition to some other reading, I've read five Psalms. There's 150 chapters, so through a month, you can get through that if you read five a day and you read a proverb a day as there are 31 of, you got to fudge a little bit, cook the numbers, right? But uh, you get through that and you learn relating to God and relating to man. And these weeks, we're going to look at this. I've condensed it. I've condensed uh, the Proverbs uh, these three weeks to this. As we uh, say word to the wise, we're going to look today at a wise heart, next week at a wise feet, and then a couple of weeks from now at wise mouth. And this morning, I want to say to you that the heart really matters. Yesterday, um, I was right behind this wall here, the baptistry in my study, preparing for today and a few other things, a writing assignment I had. And I realized that um, I had a wedding and I had to get ready for that wedding. I thought, you know, we've been traveling, a lot going on. I don't even know if I got clean duds to wear. So I text my wife who chairs the uh, financial appropriations committee at our house. And I said, I know a place where I can go get a really cheap jacket and pants, really cheap, like around a hundred bucks. And I, is that okay? I'm, I'm, you know, I'll just run to the wedding. I'll probably get paid a little bit for doing the wedding so to kind of balance itself out. And that's what I did. Instead of going home or asking her to iron something for me, which is not in her motivated gifts and ability set. <laughs> I'm just telling you. That, uh, so I drive to this place. I'm thinking, I've got margin. I can do this. And I drive and I pick out something. But I do like a lot of guys do at this place. I don't try it on. It's got, num- yeah. it's got numbers on it. It's good, you know, slide the card. I do this all the time. It always works. And I hustle and sort of dressed on the way. And everything worked. But I'll just tell you, the pants were awfully tight. And I thought, well, the jacket comes down. I bought a loose jacket. And so it's going to cover, you know, so it's not too bad. I, I, I think it looked kind of good, honestly. But I was doing a wedding with a lot of people wearing tight pants. And I didn't think about love or commitment, a covenant marriage before the heavenly father. When I drove away, I thought, you know, everybody's talking about my tight pants. I got my tight pants. I got my tight pants on. 
And what I want to say, she's going to kill me for that sermon illustration later. But what I want to say to you today is, and what, some of you are wondering what's Fondren Church's policy on tight pants. We're against it, okay? <laughs> I don't want you wearing a tight pants, all right? I'm just, the elders have gathered together. We've got a real policy against tight pants. But we're worried about that a lot of times, aren't we? What we're wearing, what's on the outside. And this morning for just a little bit, you're here, you came today. I want to encourage you to see what God sees. Most of you know 1 Samuel 6, 17. Man, you and I, we look at the outward appearance, right? But God looks where? He looks at the heart. And God really cares about your heart. I know a pastor, a friend of mine, he and his wife, their initials are H and S. Um, and they, they love this passage in 1 Samuel. It says this, it gives this great expression. We use this a lot. Do all that you have in mind. This is Jonathan and David, by the way. His armor bearer said, go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. Isn't that beautiful? So simple, we kind of take it for granted. But if you're sitting next to someone that you love or that you're supposed to love or you think you love, wouldn't it be good if that was your gift to each other? Wouldn't it be good if Fondren Church is your church, if God's called you to invest here, to serve here, to, to know and be known, to love and be loved, to serve and serve others, and to be served? Wouldn't it be cool if that could be your expression? Hey, I'm with you, heart and soul. So much negativity, so much division in our world today, so much angst, and, and we blame, and we're, we play the victim thing, but just to be excited about the people around you to love the people and just to say, I am with you, heart and soul. What's he saying there? When you say heart, when you say soul, you're talking depth there. Let me do quick, two quick contrasts here. One is from 2 Chronicles chapter 25. Here's a man who was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Jehoadad and she was from Jerusalem. Here's the point I want you to hear. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. but not wholeheartedly. Think about it. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, public persona, but not wholeheartedly. When will you do away with public persona and think about being a whole, healthy, integrated human being? He didn't do it with all of his heart. But look and thank God because some of us are battling sin. You come here, to, you come and I think, man, we need to come. Topher prayed it in his prayer. We're sinners and God has given us his grace. Isn't that our testimony, all of us? It, shouldn't that be the message of our church? No one lofty, no one high and lifted up except Jesus only. I wouldn't mind a little bit of respect, but no one high and lifted up. We need his grace and I'm, I'm so great. Hadn't committed murder, hadn't committed adultery, hadn't covered it up. But I love this expression because David did all those things. And look what it says in Acts 13, 22, looking back at his life. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, what? A man after my heart who will do all of my will. I know it's uber popular today to say, well, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Well, nobody's perfect. Nobody's, nobody's perfect. I mean, nobody's perfect. I mean, I'm not perfect. I mean, I'm not perfect. I mean, nobody's perfect. I mean, I like that church. I like that path, but nobody's perfect. I mean, it's not perfect. I mean, nobody's perfect. I mean, I, I want to tell you this, but I'm not perfect. We say that a bunch, don't we? 
We say it so much, and I think we lose the idea that we can really have wholehearted devotion to Jesus. Nobody's perfect. I probably should say that. David failed because God picked him up. Because the scripture is ultimately not a book of rules and regulations, policies and procedures. It's a love story. We see another example of God's love expressed through Jesus, personified in the life of this poet, warrior, king, writer, a man who sinned greatly but loved deeply. And he was ultimately called a man after God's own heart. This morning, as we look at wise heart, the passage, almost every time we have you turn, I give you the page number and the ESV Bible in front of you. But I want you to just look at me today. Trust me, it's in there. But I want, to, I want you to memorize with me this verse. It's Proverbs 4, 23. I want us to say it out loud a couple of times, okay? You don't have to. Nobody's forcing you to, okay? Luke, don't be bowing up on me on the front row. This guy's huge. I can't make you do anything, okay? <laughs> Wouldn't want to. But here's what I want to do. I want to say... Say it, and then you repeat it after me. So I'm going to say, above all else, and raise my hand, and you'll say, above all else. I'm going to say, guard your heart. You'll say, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And you will say, for it is the wellspring of life. Don't hyphenate, for it is the wellspring of life. Are you ready? Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Let's do it again. Above all else. Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Long before, long before there was um, a magic or a Dr. J or an MJ or a LeBron James, there was a Pistol Pete. Yeah. And Pistol Pete Maravich played college ball where? at LSU, appealing to the older crowd among us. If you're young, you need to YouTube these highlights. I'm telling you guys, even uh, compared to the modern era, it's unbelievable, these highlights. This guy and his basketball wizardry, the behind the back, over the shoulder, no look pass, the reverse layups, the driving the baseline. Amazing what Pistol Pete Maravich could do with a basketball. He was, uh, for a long time, the NCAA Division I scoring leader with 46 points per game while in college. He was selected to be an NBA five-time All-Star, and he's in the pantheon of greats. In fact, he's in one of the NBA, he is in the NBA all-time 50 greatest basketball players ever to play the game. And after a grueling 72-game season, I think it was back in the day, he's playing a pickup basketball game out in Colorado with the ministry of focus on the family. Uh, the old uh, preacher guy, James Dobson, Dr. James Dobson was on the court. I'm sure his game uh, couldn't compare to Pistol Pete's, but they played a pickup game. Pete, I'm sure, was being nice. And suddenly, out of nowhere, he collapsed. Autopsy reports revealed a congenital heart defect. And it had led to a, to a sudden heart attack. Can it happen that someone could be so fit, so skinny, so prolific in what they do physically, and we, that stuff that we see can be overwhelmed and overtaken by something that we don't see? 
scary on a physical level, isn't it? Um, Cardiologists have uh, something they call an arteriogram. Did I say that right, doctor? I'm close enough, Dr. Stewart. But there's an arteriogram, which basically is an x-ray of the arteries. And what they do, doctors use this to gauge someone's physical health. And they will um, basically inject a dye into a person's bloodstream. And you can see this on video. Even a a non-educated medical person can look at a video. And it's just fascinating because the dye is injected into the bloodstream. You can see things. You You can detect blockage. And a very skilled cardiologist, when he or she can detect this blockage, they're able to uh, insert a stent through an artery in a patient's leg and navigate that thing up into the heart region where they will be able to see the problem and correct the problem by removing some of the blockage and allowing the blood to flow freely. By the way, some of you struggle with the credibility of the Bible long before there were cardiologists, long before Mississippi led the way in a heart transplant. The Bible says in Leviticus that the life of the body is in the blood. And it's true. And the cardiologists are able to get in there and to do this and to see and to clean, clean it up and to, to encourage um, a patient's overall health, to, 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 to be uh, magical in their healing. And what we do oftentimes, and here's what I've learned that uh, I know several doctors in the room, but people don't seek out their cardiologist, do they? People have, um, a lot of people don't have no physician, but we typically will have a family physician or a general practitioner specialist, but not until that doctor says, go here, does a person go see they're cardiologists. And what do we do? We look at symptoms all the time. And do you know that there's a lot of things, including if you're grabbing Mylanta or Tums at the edge of your bed every single night with heartburn, it could be heartburn, but it could be something deeper than that. And we look at symptoms. And when we look at symptoms only, what do we do? We mask the problem. We cover it up and eventually it worsens over time. I'll give you an illustration. Stay with me for a second because I think it illustrates how we handle our hearts, the other heart that Proverbs 4 is talking about. Let's say you purchase a home and your home has a pear tree and you like everything about the home. You're so excited. You're having a housewarming party. Friends are coming over. You're having a small group uh, that Wednesday night, but you got a pear tree in your yard. And over time, you realize that this pear tree, it yields an abundance of pears. So much so that the, the weight of the tree, uh, it, the, the pears collapse. It, they fall on the ground. They fall everywhere in your backyard on the ground. And over time, what are you doing? This abundant yielding of pears that fall on the ground. You're walking across your backyard and you got mashed pears on the bottom of your shoes, which you bring inside with you. And worse than that, when you mow the lawn out there, right? These fallen pears become fruity missiles. These, they, it, the projectile missiles that, that go towards your house, your car, your dog, the neighbor's fence, the neighbor's dog. You, you, and worse than worse is you learn after you purchase the house with the pear tree that pears that have fallen on the ground really smell in the summertime. They smell awful and they attract bugs and they kill the grass. What do you do? How do you tackle the problem? In all likelihood, you'll grab a bucket or two, maybe some friends who have buckets, and you'll just pick up those pears, right? 
you'll fill a bucket or two or 10 with these pears and you'll throw them away. And you've dealt with your pear problem for a season. Become, that was a lot of work too, wasn't it? What's wrong with your back picking up pears? But next spring, here it comes, right? And your problem reemerges. And what I want to say to you this morning, I want to give you this picture. That's how we deal with our human hearts. As we grab a bucket and we're picking up and we're apologizing for our insensitive words, for our inappropriate behavior. We're telling ourselves we won't do that again. In fact, sometimes we tell other people in our lives, we won't do that again. And you know what? You mean it. And you know what? You repeat it. And you spend time, some of us that are educated and well-read, who know some terms from therapy or counseling, or hear a preacher preach sometimes, we'll even be smart and, and how to, we'll give an educated response as to why we keep doing what we do over and over again. And it gets to blaming and excusing but not changing. And there's two ways you can deal with the pair problem. And we choose that way with our own heart problems so many times. When Jesus came, listen to this, oh, church, listen. I'm very, very concerned about the church in our world today. I'm very concerned about, we'll talk about this some in August, about what the church ought to be in our day, which is going back to the love revolution of where it started when Jesus started this thing. But Jesus came and he confronted the religious referees, the authorities of his day. The scripture tells us there's a great account of this I'd love for you to read later if you'd like to look at it. It's in Matthew chapter 15. Look at it later. Look and watch me now. Jesus taught. He, he came against, came up against these <clears throat> Pharisees and they were the ones who started the adversarial relationship and they, um, they noticed that he wasn't doing all the things that they were doing. Now, what were they doing? We try to teach this periodically so that you'll know this, but these religious authorities, these Jewish leaders at the time, they took the Mosaic law, the law that Moses gave with the 10 commandments, and they added to it and added to it and added to it. And remember what Jesus said, this is important for your understanding. Jesus in Matthew 5 said, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, I came to fulfill them. You see, Jesus wasn't against the law and Moses. He used the law of Moses to instruct us on deeper issues of the heart and that a new day was coming and Jesus was setting up a movement of love that was very different than what the world had known. And Jesus, it's interesting to note that the Pharisees, when they saw him doing his thing, they said to him, and notice the phrase here, notice this. I mean, it just reeks with religious, religiosity. Hey, Jesus, why do your disciples not wash their hands before they eat. And Jesus responded, now think about the question. A man they saw healing the sick, calming the storms, liberating the captives, bringing about this revolution of love. They are so petty and trifling that they're asking him this outward question of why do your disciples, they're probably afraid to directly confront him, passive aggressive, do you hear it? Why do your disciples not wash their hands before they eat? And Jesus responded this way. Why do you, why do you 
disobey the commands of God for the sake of your tradition. And I could see the disciples behind him high-fiving, right? All right, snappy retort. Yeah, son of God, he's on our side, right? Yeah, they stood behind Jesus as he's confronted these very intellectually studious men, always men, right? Always men. And Jesus said to them, what enters the mouth goes into the stomach and out of the body. But what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. And that's what makes someone unclean. Not this stuff. By the way, this is not a chapter on personal hygiene, okay? It's important. My wife really wants me to say that, right? She's the mobile center for disease and control. When we travel, she's got Purell or Germex. Every time a, a child touches you know, something on a, a tram or plane, she's like, Break it. it's okay to wash your hands. There's something else happening in the story. And Jesus says, for what comes out of the mouth, it flows from the heart. And from the heart comes evil thoughts. The thoughts come from the heart. From the heart flows evil thoughts, sexual immorality, slander, murder, theft, etc. Jesus wants to teach us something. Now, I would say that this isn't a nice story of a, a love revolutionary, the savior of the world, the master teacher, one-upping religious people who are more concerned about their traditions. That's not so much what it's about. The implications uh, to this are huge when it comes to the heart because you and I, every single day in almost every single way, we are worried about monitoring behavior while we ignore our hearts. And Jesus teaches us, and remember what he said, he says, in that passage, if you read it later, he says, don't you see? And what does he say? He teaches them something very simple. Comes in, boom, 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 boom. don't you see? And it's one of the great principles of communication. I've got a friend, he's a pastor, a much better pastor than I. He says, you cannot, you cannot communicate a complex message to a large audience. And Jesus at the time had a very large audience and he kept it simple, but he said at one point, don't you see? Why did he say that? Because they should have seen, just like you and I ought to see things, but what we don't see. And we come to churches and we say, we've been podcasting all these preachers and reading all these books and we're up on the latest thing and we want the guy standing up front to tickle our ears and give us new information. But sometimes you just got to go Jesus and say, don't you see? And don't you see that things flow from right here? Through the years, I've talked to many parents. And look, my life's changing. My life change is changing fast. I used to be the preacher. I had little bitty kids, and they were always nice little sermon illustrations. And now I've got kids that aren't little anymore. They've got a mind of their own. Imagine that. But through the years, I've sat down with many parents, and their parents will tell me about something that their kid has done, and it's been a pattern, and it's been bad, and they'll say something along the lines of, he's a good kid. He's got a good heart. wrong. If you walk through or under a pear tree, what do you get? If you go through an apple orchard, what do you get? And Jesus is teaching us that what is in our hearts, good or bad, will come out in word or deed. I'm sure your kid is cute. 
I'm sure they're smart and I'm sure they're talented, but they, if they've got a bad behavior problem, they've got something going on deeper in their hearts. And those who parent better, nobody's perfect, but those who parent well, learn to not just monitor behavior. Because if you notice, you put a kid on restriction just like you can put a guy in jail and it does very little to change their heart. And Jesus is saying to us, like the seismic activity of a dormant volcano, what you can't see can hurt you. Suddenly, they file for divorce. Suddenly, there's a drop in grades and a change in attitude. Suddenly, a little pastime becomes a sudden or becomes a destructive habit. Suddenly, these things happen. What we can't see, it can really, really hurt us. When will we care so much less about public persona and care about what really matters, being an integrated, healthy, and whole person? And it starts and it ends with our heart. Would you join me again? Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Last night, many of you know, and we're so thankful for you, for our church, and the love that, that we have seen from you as Susan lost her dad a little over 48 hours ago, a week after we um, had visited with him. So a lot of emotion, but yet still a lot of activity and responsibility and travel um, in our lives. And uh, last night, I just uh, drug these old bones out for a run. And I had a goal. I knew where I was running, how many miles away it was, and back again. And I knew that even though it was nighttime, kind of late, that there would be heat. There's always hills, day or night. Have you noticed that? Always the same hills. But the heat this time of year still persists. And I, I ran my run. And what I noticed is I, I saw some friends, uh, Joy and her fiance that we'll marry in September. They were, they were eating at one establishment. Parker and Chelsea were eating at another establishment. And when I ran by them, I noticed them and I picked up the pace. Parker called me out on it because he knows me well, but it was like Kenyan-like speed for just about 50 yards. And then when I was finishing my run, as the body got weak, I, fi I finished right here on the steps. Now, I had intended to finish at my house, which is eight-tenths of a mile away. But when I got to the front steps of the church, I stopped because of the heat in the hills. And I said, it'll be better for my body and everything if I just walk it on in. So I did my cool down from here to my house. That's why it took me so long, babe, I promise. And then friends of mine, the Moors with their golden retriever in the back, they, they spotted me. See, I dipped right down the hill, Woodland Hills right here, and I walked through that neighborhood to get to my house. Um, I don't live in the castle, by the way, I'm just saying. But I dipped down that neighborhood, and the, I bump into the Moors. It's really late. What time is it, 1030? And they're like, oh, there's the preacher at 1030, sweaty. What are you doing? And when I saw them, I said, oh, I just did, a, just did my run. And I mentioned how many miles I ran. And then I was just doing the cool down, right? And then I played with their golden retriever in the back seat. And I got home and I knew that I had to see my golden retriever. And he would smell on me and know that I cheated on him. 
But I thought back to bumping into my friends and I thought, you know, what is it about me? What is it about you that when we know someone's looking at us, we speed up? We want to show them our best. Hey, they go to my church. I want them to think blank of me. And then we dip into the darkness, into a little shadow. Somebody sees us and we keep going with it, don't we? We have to tell them what a lean, limber, athletic machine we are. They've got to know our exploits. Tell them. They don't know how far you've gone. Tell them. They just see you walking. That'd be bad for your reputation. Tell them how far you've gone. What is it about our hearts? I'm so tired sometimes of getting a bucket and picking up fallen pears. I'm so tired sometimes of sitting down with you. I'm your pastor and I love you and I see that you're dealing with symptoms while the root of it goes undetected. And I want to close by reading something that somebody said a lot better than me. Sometime, probably soon, we'll do a series on parenting that'll be for everybody. But listen to this, and I'll close. I'm convinced that one of the best ways to train our children to guard their hearts is through asking questions. Our questions have the power to do two things. First, they can communicate the value we place on the condition of their hearts. But more importantly, our questions can actually help our children know what they should be watching for. In time, our questions will become the gauge by which our children measure their hearts. You hear that? As I mentioned earlier, through the years, I've added a few questions to my weekly bedtime routine with my children. Once, well, I'm sorry, one at a time, I sit on the edge of their bed and I ask my questions. They know them by heart. Is everything okay in your heart? Are you mad at anybody? Did anybody hurt your feelings today? Did anybody break a promise to you today? Is there anything you need to tell me? Are you worried about anything? I ask about broken promises because I'm usually the culprit. If they think I promised something and didn't follow through, I want them to talk about it, not sleep on it. I want my kids to learn how to clean out their hearts every day for the rest of their lives. Recently, just to see how she would respond, I asked my nine-year-old daughter, whose failure would you secretly celebrate? To be honest, I expect her to say, Daddy, what does that mean? But her response shocked me. She immediately blurted out a name. Fortunately, it was none of her brother's but it was one of their friends. I said, Allie, do you even know what that question means? She said, yes, sir. It means if they don't do, do good at something, you would be glad about it. As you might imagine, we had a nice little chat before she went to sleep that night. It turns out that she had something lodged in her heart that we needed to get unlodged. I've since added that question to my own repertoire. 